yo, yo, yo! Welcome to episode number 46 of the Basketball Card Podcast. I am your host, Adam. You can find me on Instagram at TheReal27Guy. We're getting on a good pace again here. Uh, I think this is the third week in a row we've done an episode. Really want to thank everybody for all the feedback. The hobby is booming. Hobby content is booming. Um, but the number of uh, DMs and questions and uh, people who who wrote uh, things on my last episode about um, it was a mail day episode. It just it lets me know that people are really excited about the hobby right now and having a great time with it. There's a lot of positivity. There's a lot. There's some negativity. There's lots of stuff going on. So thank you for your involvement. Um, today's gonna be another good episode. I'm I brought back uh, my good friend uh, and old boss Jeff. Uh, he and I are gonna talk about some stories from the shop. Uh, we'll, we'll title this. We'll title this episode "Shop Stories" or "Tales from the Shop" or something like that. Um, but first, I want to. But before uh, I bring him on, I want to mention a couple of things real quick. This week, I uh, announced a project that I've been considering for a while called Basketball Card Fanatic. Basketball Card Fanatic will be a digital magazine uh, that I provide via email. Um, there, as of now, is no intent to print the magazine, but just to have it digitally. Uh, this magazine is is something that is taking a lot of work so far, and it's going to take a lot more work. But I think it's going to provide a lot of value to the passionate collectors of the hobby, people who really love basketball cards. Um, there's a lot of people doing a lot of written pieces about uh, f- the financial pieces of the hobby and you know making picks and what's going to go up and what's going to go down and all that sort of stuff. This won't so much be about that. This will be about the things that are that are that uh, that people find uh, passion in, in the hobby. The reason why we actually collect cards, the reason we buy these little three and a half by two and a half pieces of cardboard, and um, the unique aspects of those things. Um, those of you who've known me the longest know that I love to write. I mean, I love to write. And, but uh, I've never put together a magazine before, so this will be a, a, a new venture. Um, I've had some people ask if this will be a paid, uh, a paid thing. Uh, I'm going to disappoint you and tell you some, tell some, tell you that uh, it is. It is going to be a paid, uh, a paid thing. The first issue, though, uh, I am giving away for free, and um, uh, I, I'm hoping that it's something that you really love. I'm hoping it's something that as you go through it, you go, man, you know what? I got a lot of value out of that, but I think the reality of it is there's so much free content out there today that uh, to set yourself apart, you've got to create something that's really quality, and you've got to you've got to have people pay for it. And if I'm going to spend tens of hours of my life preparing something like this and working and collaborating with others to prepare something like this that brings people together and that that uh, hopefully you learn from and are entertained by, um, I'm going to need to charge for that. So um, it won't be a lot, but uh, enough to hopefully get you to actually read it if you buy it. So. Um, be on the lookout for that next Saturday and get excited. Um, as part of that, I am doing a, a, a contest of sorts for those of you who are designers out there and who would like to help design the logo. Um, I do need help with the design also within the magazine. Uh, I've got some experience with that, but but could use could use uh, your help if you if you know anything about creating sort of magazine templates. If you know anything about using um, if you know you know anything about using Word to create templates and uh, and also for those of you who are who are experts at making at making logos or have some experience with that, we're doing a contest with that, and whoever wins will forever after have the logo of Basketball Card Fanatic. Uh, starting with issue number one and going forward. Thus far, I've gotten about 11 logos, and uh, some of them are really good. One of them in particular I think is going to be pretty hard to beat. 
uh, and I will, I will make the decision as to which one I think is best, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on it too because th- those those persuade me. So um, that's that's that. That's Basketball Card Fanatic. If you've got any questions, DM me at the real 27 guy. Uh, if you would like to be on the list, DM me your email address. I will email you that first one for free. And if you like it, then after that, you can message me and say, Adam, how do I get you know your future issues? And I'll let you know how to do that. How's that sound? I hope that sounds good. All right, guys. Um, again, one of my very best friends, a guy who I just love and will always admire, look up to, and uh, a guy who's a lot smarter than me and has had a lot of experience. Jeff, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Adam. It's great to be back. I'm grateful uh, that you uh, brought me back onto your podcast. I uh, had such a great time uh, visiting with you last time and definitely looking forward to tonight when you let me know uh, kind of uh, the format and the things that we we're going to be talking about. Uh, it was a no-brainer. Um, you know, having uh, owned the, the store for nearly 25 years, there are a lot of interesting things that happened. A lot of cool experiences, a lot of fun experiences, and I think we're just going to have a blast uh, highlighting uh, some of those top experiences. So uh, thanks for having me back. You're awesome. I think last time we gave uh, the listeners some uh, some sort of like uh, look into what <laughs> what those times were like for us. But you know, I I like to tell people sometimes that. In a lot of ways, I'm not sure I've ever had a real job because, you know, there I was 16 years old and just had this dream of working at the card shop and hoped that someday maybe I'd get a shot. And and one day you say, you sort of come up to me and go, hey, Adam, how would you like to have a job? And I was like, how do I say yes in a way that doesn't let this guy think that I'm so eager, right? That it turns <laughs> them all to it. But uh, it was, you know, House of Cards was a material part of my life and um, it has great memories and significance and some bad memories and I mean I you know kind of just to start off like m- you were my boss when when uh, when when I found out my parents were gonna divorce um, you, know, you were my boss when I when I graduated high school you were my boss when I broke up with my first girlfriend. You know, when I got my mission call, when I went to England, when I came home from England, uh, you were my boss when I got married. Uh, and so you you were there for so much of the sort of important parts of my life and were such a mentor. But you and I together throughout all that have not just serious and meaningful stories, but we have some funny stories too. And I don't know what stories you've planned to tell. And you don't know what stories I've planned to tell, but I know we've each planned a few. And I think, you know, let's take the next half an hour or so and like go through some of those stories. And if you're okay, Jeff, I'd, I'd love to just invite you to tell the first story. Oh, that would be great. That'd, that'd be an honor. Thank you. Um, you know, it was difficult to, you know, narrow it down just to a handful of stories, but there's no question that over the years, there are a few things that took place that just have to be told. <laughs> and that, that are just so unique and, you know, in my mind, so funny. Um, I know the word's overused a little bit, but iconic. If, um, you know, there are some things that were iconic at House of Cards, I think that's what's going to come out tonight. And so um, I'll begin um, with, with the first story, which is definitely iconic. If you were to 
uh, walk up to, um, you know, just a, a random number of House of Cards customers, you know, over the last 20 years and ask them, you know, what they remember. This particular experience would be shared probably 10 out of 10 times. Um, it happened uh, on a on a bid board. We talked about the bid board on the last episode and just how crowded things became in the store during the bid board. I mean, the store was literally packed uh, during bid board times. So anything that happened during the bid board was going to be seen by a maximum number of people, which is unfortunate um, in the in this particular case. So anyway, just you got me worried. It. You got me worried, Jeff. <laughs> no, just don't be worried on this one. Um, uh, we, last week, we also talked about uh, Mitch and just how wonderful he was uh, to House of Cards. And um, even though I fired him four times um, <laughs> as we continued to buy shops, eventually we came together. He became our manager and he stayed with us for 23 years. Uh, one Wednesday evening uh, during the bid board, the bid board had just ended and so as you can imagine that it was a little bit chaotic and uh, people were you know getting their tags getting their cards off the wall and uh whatnot and for whatever reason mitch thought he needed to be on the other side of the display cases and on the side of the bid board and you know kind of like the con configuration of any card shop you know, you always leave a little bit of a gap between your display cases to walk through, right? You need to be able to get through the display cases out into the floor of your store. And we had several of those gaps between the cases so that we could walk uh, between, <laughs> you know, from the front of the store to the back of the store. Anyway, Mitch uh, was out. Um, uh, probably collecting bid board tags off the bid board, answering questions, settling dispute. I don't know exactly what he was doing. The one thing I do know is all of a sudden um, he needed to get back on the other side of the display cases uh, to help check people out, uh, to help people um, get their bid board tags, uh, get paid and get them on their way. Um, although even though he walked through one of the gaps, that uh, we created and had been there for years uh, to walk through. He felt like it would be quicker, smarter. I'm not exactly sure what the mindset was for him to go over the display cases. In other words, to kind of do a Dukes of Hazard, jump across the hood and slide across to the other side of the display case. And, um, not to, uh, you know, be mean, but, you know, Mitch, you know, isn't the smallest guy in the world. <laughs> um, probably at that time, I would say, um, you know, 5'11", 260. Correct me if you think I'm wrong. Two, two, 260 to 280, somewhere in uh, there. Exactly. And so he wanted to do a Dukes of Hazard slide across the hood of a glass display case, not a plastic display case, a glass display case. And about the second that he hit the display case to slide across, he dropped through the display case. 
not only the top piece of glass, but also the second piece of glass no. in the display case. I didn't know. That. And um, there was glass everywhere, shards of glass everywhere. There were shards of glass in Mitch, around Mitch. There were cards everywhere. There was blood everywhere. It was incredible. And it was one of those moments where people, and like I said before, there were several dozen people in there, um, and we were just kind of in shock. We did not know what to do. Mitch was, he had his back to me. He was backwards wedged in a normal size display case, two shelves deep. <laughs> and he, he was bleeding like crazy and I didn't know what to do. And so, you know, a couple of us, myself and some of the customers felt like it'd be best to get him out and so that was kind of our, our goal from that point is, okay, we need to get Mitch out of the display case. And it took us a little bit. It took probably three or four of us. Um, you know, number one, Jack on the bid board was there. He helped me. Uh, Barry was there. He helped me. And we tried our best to get Mitch out as quick as possible. I was worried about his well-being. I was worried about his safety. Right. Um just because there was obviously blood everywhere. Um, and obviously <laughs> there were shards of blood going in there. I mean, shards of glass going in, there were shards of glass coming out. I mean, he got cut going in, he got cut co coming out. We eventually got him out. We got him back on his feet and <laughs> he walked to one of the places that we had uh, designated to get back to the other side and stood on the other side of the case and just started helping customers like nothing had <laughs> happened. I mean, it was hilarious. He, he was so embarrassed. I think he just wished that everybody would just forget about it. Like it never happened. I mean, his side, I mean, I, I thought he was going to the hospital, honestly. I mean, he had a piece of glass in his side. And I told him, I said, Mitch, you know, you need to get help. You know, we need to get you some help. And he's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, I'm okay. You know, let's just go on. I mean, his shirt was just blood soaked. And all he wanted to do was for the incident to go away and to help customers. And so for the rest of the night, he stood there. He finished the shift. I mean, talk about a hockey player. Oh, he, he finished his shift bleeding. He did go into the bathroom after a little bit, you know, after a little while, got some paper towels and, you know, got cleaned up. But um, it, it was an, it was a sight to see. I mean, it scared a lot of people, just the sound of him going <laughs> through the glass, you know, him being in the glass and not knowing how to get him out. And uh, just, I mean, it, it, it was insane. And it is a moment that I will never, ever forget. Um, I had tried to go over the display cases that way, and I think you had tried to go over the d display cases that way until yes. that night. And even from then on, I just it's it's not worth it. I don't want to go through. But definitely number one on my list is a man I love, Mitch, going through the display cases, not one, but two shelves deep into the display case. Yeah. Uh, pe people gave him a hard time afterwards, and 
You know, they said, hey, Mitch, maybe you need to drop a few LB. You know, they're giving him a hard time about his weight, this, that, and the other, which is kind of sad. But that's the life of the card shop, right? That's and um, it was interesting, you know, how he said that the reason why he went through the glass is because his wallet <laughs> was it was on the side of his wallet. I remember and, that. So he sat on the glass on top of his wallet, which yep. punctured the glass. It had no, nothing to do with 280 pounds of man, but it had everything to do with um, four ounces of wallet that was in his in his pocket. So I, I can, anyway, hilarious. I can corroborate that, that uh, he did give that as an excuse. I remember him saying, you know, if it would have just been an even surface that went over the glass, it would have been fine. But it was because that I was uneven because I had this wallet. What I think people have to understand is like you and you did a great job of telling the story, but the um, the display cases were as such so that you had to go all the way over to one side of the shop to get around to the to be behind the, the display case. And that was, you know, where the person had to be who was at the, you know, who was who was at the register and was was taking payments and, and cashing people out on their bid board stuff. And so there were times where it was actually beneficial to just be able to go over the, the, the showcases. What I always thought, and you'll I think you'll remember this, is that in the spot where like two display cases met each other and they were flush um, next to each other, you were going over kind of the the metal part of the display right. case. Yeah, and the frame, right? The frame, yeah. And that that was just infinitely more secure and didn't feel like such a risk. But to go straight over the glass was something that I always felt like was probably not a good idea. And um, <laughs> that moment with Mitch, although unfortunately I was not there that bid board night, I'll never forgive forgive myself for that. Um, that is one moment that that we will never that we'll never forget talking about. And it went poorly for Mitch that night, but uh, um, it doesn't shock me that he kept, he, he kept trying to work because if you know, Mitch Pixton, Mitch had a number of accidents throughout his life. He, well, I shouldn't say throughout, had throughout his life because he's still around. Um, and we need to, we need to like have him on the show. That would be amazing. Um, if anyone out there is in contact with Mitch, like let him know that we would love to have him come be on the show. Um, but he, he, I don't know if you remember, he like cut part of his finger off one time, um, doing something with his youth. He told me the story once about how he stepped on a nail and didn't realize that he stepped on it until the middle of the night. I mean, I've got all these crazy stories about Mitch and his accidents, right. but that's, that's a right. great, that's a great first story. Okay. My first story. <laughs> Mine's not nearly as long as yours, but I think it says something about a card shop in the 19, in the 1990s and in the early 2000s. So we had various rules throughout the years about whether, um, employees could open packs of cards and could open, you know, from a, from an open box. And the reason for that was that as an employee, you often get to sort of open and then kind of get first look at the packs. And you know, you 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 as an owner, I didn't want us, you know, opening packs because they looked different than other packs because. Back in the late 90s and early 2000s, sometimes a pack that had a really good card in it would look or maybe potentially feel a little bit a little bit different. Well, before we had any rules about those sort of things, in 1999, so this is right when I right when I had been working at the shop for maybe 
maybe six months or something. And I knew at this point, like I knew, I knew Jeff, I knew my boss, Jeff liked me and I knew I was in good grace with him. And, and, you know, I would open packs of cards here and there. And then sometimes I wouldn't even get a paycheck because I'd be opening packs of packs of cards or buying cards. And then I wouldn't, you know, get my money. But, <laughs> but we had a bunch of open boxes on the, on the shelf. And this is the late nineties. There, there are now, you know, or, or maybe early two thousands. There are now Jersey cards, uh, that are more prevalent. Most cases have at least a Jersey card, a case, and there's a whole bunch of open packs out there. Right. So, um, and Mitch tells me, well, you know, sometimes a Jersey card is, is a little bit more rigid than, than regular cards. And so if you, if you give the pack just a little bit of a bow, just a little bit of a bend, sometimes you can find the Jersey. Well, as a 16 year old, are you okay, Jeff? Yeah, no, I, I just said, I, I, I said, Oh no, just cause I kind of know what was coming. Oh yeah. So I don't, <laughs> you, you might even remember this because, because you, you come into the story in just a second, but I'm thinking, Oh, this is interesting. Like I, maybe I could find a Jersey card. So I remember I start with the Fleer metal. It was when genuine coverage was out there. So it was either 2000, 2001 or 1989, 2000. And I, I open, I, I'm like going through the packs and I find one that is just so clearly more rigid than the other packs. I open it up and I get an Antoine Walker like jumbo jersey card. And I'm like, this is amazing. This is awesome. <laughs> and so then, and then I move on to another box. And I was like, wouldn't it be cool if I could find another box? Well, long story short, I find four memorabilia cards in four packs. <laughs> and one of them was Fleer Ultra Baseball, and I never liked opening um, you know, stuff other than basketball, but, but I thought this one will be rigid. I remember Mitch being like, well, then open it, because this was the year that they had the 3,000 hit club cards, and they were all more rigid. It was like, it was like uh, Fleer being innovative and producing a card that seemed like it was a jersey card, but wasn't actually that valuable. Well, one out of like, maybe like one out of 50 or one out of 100 of those 3,000 hit cards actually had a piece of jersey or a piece of bat in it. And I remember mine had a Paul Molitor bat card. And I remember Barry looking at it. And I remember the look on Barry's face was like, and Barry's one of our best customers. Barry was like, man, I sit here, I open all these packs and all these boxes and this Adam kid opens four packs and like literally strips each of those cases out of the best card. <laughs> and so I go home that day and I've got my four pa- my four packs of cards that I've just paid 12 bucks for and I've got my $100 worth of jersey cards that I, that I just pulled. And I'm feeling pretty good, but then I get home and I start realizing, you know, as a, as a 16 or 17 year old would, it begins, begins to like fall on me that like, what I have done is not very good because I have made it so that the people who are buying those packs kind of blindly are being gypped out of something that that should be theirs you know they should have a chance at it and i i start to feel really bad and so the next day i come into come into the shop and i'm like jeff i think i made a mistake and i don't remember exactly what i did i had this vague memory that i like gave back one of the jerseys which in retrospect i should have just given all of the jersey cards back but I gave back one of them, and then I remember you said, well, it's good that you you did that. And then I said, I'm going to go open some more packs. And there was, like, Topps Chrome Basketball or something that didn't have jerseys. He said, you, and, and then you, you said, you know, Adam, you might want to get, you know, get this, get this moment out of the way because we're about to institute a new rule. And the new rule was no uh, employee can open open packs of cards you can or can open packs from an open box. Employees from that point, you remember this, um, 
employees from that point forward were only able to open sealed boxes. And and I think, you know, as, as you know, time went by, we loosened on that and we went back to normal. But I learned, like, I learned a lot of my life lessons from, I've learned a ton of my life lessons from cards. And that was one of them where I went home, I thought about something and I went, you know what? When you, when you like, when you do something like that, you're like, it's like stealing. It's like, this is a bad feeling that you have, Adam. This is not a, this is not, it doesn't feel good when you, when you kind of take advantage of the situation. But um, I guarantee you, Jeff, there were other shops that were doing that same thing in the late nineties. And whenever I, whenever I buy a card, that's a late nineties or early two thousands batch card or, 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 you know, super thick Jersey card. I always sit there and go, you know what? I'll bet you there was somebody out there who was, who was searching packs to find this card. That's exactly right. Your so, story. No, yeah, or, that's great. Or your I response. Re- yeah, re- respond. You know, what 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 a great story. I, You know, if there was anything, you know, that led to more rules in the shop, I don't, I don't think I was one of those guys that had a ton of rules. But no, definitely sure. I wanted the customers to have, you know, I wanted them to have the odds you know, in their favor, you know, and it actually got worse when, when, when you left on your mission, we, we went from employees not being able to open packs to the, we got to the point where we only sold sealed boxes because mm. um, sometimes Mitch would, you know, cause customers were smart too, you know, they'd say, Hey, let me see the box. And so yep. they'd grab the box and they'd smash all the, uh, packs together accordion style yep. and they'd find the really thick one and pull it out and open it up. And all of a sudden, you know, you, obviously back in those days, boxes weren't what they are today, but you have a $75 box or a hundred dollar box and the hit is gone and you still yep. have 23 out of the 24 packs. And so pretty soon people didn't trust our packs and you know they wouldn't open them and so from a profitability standpoint you know we would sell you know all 11 boxes out of the case except for the 23 packs out of that box yep and so anyway that that was just kind of interesting so the 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 pendulum swung you know um all the way to the point where we just had boxes on our shelves, if you can imagine. It didn't last very long, um, but I, I just wanted, I, I didn't want customers, I didn't want employees, I didn't want anybody to have a greater advantage over somebody else, you know, to get the card. So anyway, it, v- v- me, very vivid in my let mind. Me, let me add to your to your thing, because we're always going to do this, where we have where, where you say something that reminds me of something. Um, but I, I kind of have like a, I kind of have to like admit admit to something that that I that I did that I've never told you before, um, and and this is this is a, a shameful moment. Um, okay, are you sure this is the <laughs> the venue? So. This is the venue. This is it. <laughs> okay. This is the moment. Perfect. So I remember, and and this is just a super dishonest thing. Um, I remember um, nineteen ninety nine or two thousand SP Authentic baseball had. Um, had buyback autographs in them and it occurred to me as i remember mitch and i were sitting there watching somebody open packs i thought these buybacks have come in sleeves because remember there was the buyback card as well as the certificate that went with it and upper deck uh, you know elected to put a sleeve on that before they put it in the pack 
And it occurred to me, you could probably sort of squeeze the packet at the edges to see if there was anything sort of like like a sleeve that that came out further than the other cards. And one night after I, you know, after I was closing up and, you, you know, I would I would typically close up the shop on my own on a weekday. Um, I remember finding, I, I remember thinking, I wonder if there's one in there. And I went and I did this to the to the SP Authentic baseball box and I got a Greg Maddox, uh, a Greg Maddox um, buyback. It was not low numbered. It was really high numbered. It was only worth like 40 or 50 bucks or something. But I, right. that's one of those moments, again, like the pack searching one, um, but maybe the pack searching one didn't teach me enough. I just went home with such a, such a like strong, like guilty feeling. And like, and, and, you know, obviously paid for the pack and I remember opening, you know, opening up the register and putting my four bucks in there or whatever it was at the time. And just feeling this really like this strong sense of guilt, those, those sorts of experience. Sometimes you need to have more than one for them to really teach you. Sometimes you only need to have one. I guess I was, you know, a a lesser person than some I needed to have multiple, but those things, those moments of dishonesty really stick with you through your life. You, you, you realize it. But uh, anyway, I, I I should have brought the Maddox back. I should have done something else, but at some point I'll have to give you 40 or 50 bucks back because uh, although I bought the pack, I definitely did never pay for the card. No, we're fine. I think um, I, I paid you minimum wage longer than I should have, so we're, we'll, we'll, we'll call it even. And you know, I'm glad to to hear that you you know from a young age, it doesn't surprise me at all that your conscience was uh, working, um, you know, full speed. So you know, not everybody has you know a strong conscience. I wish you know more people did, but yours was working from a young age, and you know I'm I'm grateful for that, and I think that's what made you such a, a strong employee and uh, you know a great friend is uh, you know your integrity and and your honesty. So too kind. I wish it's nice of you to say that after I just acknowledged the two really dishonest things that I did. But but here we are and uh, we, we, we keep going and we try to make the world better. But I'm interested to hear your next story. What you got? Good. All right. Well, here we go. Um, you know, the next story, this is really interesting. I, I, I don't think anybody's going to laugh. Maybe they will. But um, they're, they're definitely going to be entertained. Um, uh, one afternoon, you know, it was probably about three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, we had uh, our, our store, I kind of have to explain our, our storefront, Adam. So just, just give me a second as I explain this. Um, it wasn't in a traditional retail, um, setting. Um, you know, it faced the wrong way. You know, remember that the, the store there that on, you know, between Maine and, uh, yes. And West Temple. Anyway, yes. uh, it faced the wrong way. And the doors, you know, were like doors to your home. You know, it wasn't mm-hmm. like a traditional retail door. It wasn't glass. It was, you know, wood. Anyway, um, you know, and then we had a big window. So um, you couldn't necessarily see who was coming in the door until they came in. One afternoon, um, you know, a gentleman came in um, with um, a young lady friend. I didn't know who they were. I hadn't seen them before, uh, which is unusual in the card business. Um, you know, people come in from out of state, you know, from different parts of the state. Um, people are curious about card shops. It's not unusual, you know, for people that you don't know to come in uh, to the shop for the first time. Um, he, he didn't, 
you know, strike me as a card collector or somebody who's going to buy some cards. But I remember he walked over into the furthest possible corner um, with this young lady and um, was looking at the display case. And I walked over and just asked, you know, greeted him and asked him if there was anything I could do to help, anything he was looking for. And he just acknowledged that he was just um, looking at the cards and appreciated being acknowledged and welcomed into the store. Um, about a minute after that, I, I walked back in into the back where my office was. Um, I just heard uh, police sirens um, like crazy. Now, it's kind of a bad thing to say, but the area of town where that shop was, like, it also wasn't unusual to hear police sirens. Where, you know, <laughs> we're, we're in South Salt Lake, you know, we're on State Street and, you know, Maine, uh, or State Street and West Temple. So um, not not the best area of town. So, but it, but the number of sirens was alarming. Um, I just remember just, just loud, they were getting louder and louder. And then pretty soon I realized that our store, our complex, and there's only four uh, retail stores in the complex, was surrounded by these police cars. And I just thought, this is so interesting. There, you know, something's going on out there. I don't know if you remember, there was that hotel behind us that always had some activity. Yep. Um, anyway, I just thought, man, there is, there is something going on out there. And I'm getting kind of nervous. And, you know, the last thing I want to have happen is for whoever they're chasing, whoever they're trying to find, is to run into our store. And, you know, to seek asylum at House of Cards, you know, that's not going to happen. And so, you know, being the smart, you know, business owner that I was looking out for our customers and for our employees and, of course, for myself, I, I simply walked over to the door and I locked it. And I just <laughs> said, you know, if, if you know, th this hoodlum is out there, the cops are chasing him, you know, he is not going to run in here. And the chase is not going to end here. I, I locked the door and I remember looking around and, you know, I stood by the door for a second and, you know, the gentleman, you know, kind of looked at me and, and the, his girl kind of looked at me and everybody kind of was kind of waiting for all the excitement to, to die down and, and to go away. Well, it probably wasn't a couple minutes after that where there was a really loud bang on the door of uh, police. And, um, you know, so um, I, I wasn't closest to the door. There was another employee. I don't know if it was you. I think it was Kevin who was closest to the door. He walked over and unlocked the door, opened the door, and basically five cops came in, guns drawn. So this was a felony stop, guns drawn, and demanded that everyone in the store put their hands up until they could take an inventory of who was in the store. And I had my hands up, the employees, there was a couple of customers, and of course this gentleman and the girl, you know, put their hands up, and it wasn't 10 seconds after uh, the police asked us to put our hands up that they had this guy on the ground in cuffs. And so um, looking back on it, it was so funny because I basically locked the bad guy in and <laughs> the policeman out. And I'm just grateful that it didn't get crazy. It could have gotten crazy. I mean, 
there could have been a shootout. I mean, who knows? He could have taken hostages, you know, whatever else. I don't know if he was, you know, packing or whatever else. But I just remember how foolish I felt, you know, and everybody made me feel after they, you know, car, you know, cuffed him and his girl, put him in the police car and drove away. And everybody kind of looked at me just like, why did you lock that guy in here? You know, we were locked in here with that guy and the police were locked out. And so anyway, interesting story that I'll never forget of me locking, you know, giving asylum to a felon in House of Cards, locking the door. I'm sure he was thrilled. He didn't say anything, but I'm sure he thought, man, this guy's awesome. He's got me locked in here, (laughs) you know, and whatever else. So story number two that I'll never forget about me locking uh, the the guy in the in the store and locking the police out. I've never had a gun in my face before, so that was the only time. So very interesting. You know, I was I was on my I was on my mission for that one. But what's funny is whenever you tell that story, I always uh, or whenever we've we've sort of discussed it, you've never told it to me in that detail, and I've thought that you were confused about something else that happened Um, because you know time sort of sort of like you you kind of forget certain details and things and I I thought I'm not sure Sure. that's how it was there was another thing that happened and you weren't there that day Um, it was but it was um, believe it or not there were some similarities where there was a a guy who was outside our store who, um, who who wasn't we didn't know if he was a customer or what he was doing but like seriously it was like 10 cop cars pulled up all at the same time they got they all like pointed their guns at this guy commanded him to get on the ground and we i remember going to the back of the store (laughs) thinking if they're gonna be firing guns i want to be in the safest place possible and so i went into like the old back room i think that was in the 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 second location that i worked at i worked at three locations of house of cards i worked at the one um on fifth east Right, the original. The, the, yeah, and then the two that were right after that. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I as as we're telling this, and I start thinking about the layout of each shop, and I think about you remember the dark room in the first in the first shop. I do. We could we could spend ten hours just talking about the fact that like there was actually a time where we had a card shop and we had so much inventory we didn't even know what was back there, old collections and things that we just didn't even know what was back there but there wasn't a light that functioned in that room and so (laughs) we just knew it was dark back there and there was who knows what was back there and i remember when we moved out of there um this isn't my story by the way i'm gonna i'm gonna actually tell another story but i remember when we moved out of there we had we had an original a first edition of sports illustrated that was just there and it had been there for years it's just been sitting in the shop for years. We didn't even know it was there. It was worth. Did it still have the fifty-four tops cards in it? <laughs> I don't know that. Okay. Does did the original Sports Illustrated have have cards in it? I thought so. You might be right. I don't know. Um, good good call. Okay, so I've got. You know, like I said at the beginning, I prepared enough stories that just in case things went long, we're already basically at time. Exactly. And, yeah. Before and, you go on, I I need to just tell your listeners. That, um, yes, we were in a sketchy part of town, but, you know, not that sketchy. Not that sketchy. It, it, it got better every time. So yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I had moved to the store and my people, you know, to safer locations every time. You know, Ivy Place after that was safe. So I don't want your 
customers to think that I found the <laughs> sketchiest place in South Salt Lake and decided and decided to open the card store there. But anyway, there was a lot of police activity uh, and a lot of uh, excitement um, on those uh, slow days. Well, Jeff, I never thought of them as being sketchy at all, to be honest with you. I mean, they there were a lot, a lot worse places, but we did have these couple of incidences that basically, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna work in a in a retail place long enough, you're gonna have some weird stuff happen, um, which actually kind of takes me to to the next story that I'll tell. Um, I uh, you've you've you, you've just segued me into into a great story. So good. There's one time we're sitting in the shop. It's a day where Mitch is not there. It's one of those days where, hey, Mitch gets the day off. It's just Jeff and Adam hanging out at the shop together. And, you know, you and I are helping customers. And, and I really liked it when it was just you and me because we just, I don't know, we just had a fun time. And uh, We did. We're, we're in there. We're, you know, just I'm making bidboard tags like I, like I was always making bidboard tags. And we get a phone call. I can't remember who took the call, if it was if it was you or me, but the call, I think it was, I don't think it was me, so it must have been you. The call goes something like this. Hey, I have a really significant and valuable collection, and within this collection are the following items. One, and my, my main pride and joy, is I have a, a baseball that's autographed, and it's autographed by members of the 500 Home Run Club. And I also have a number of Alex Rodriguez SP rookie cards. Well, these are two very unusual items. And uh, this person goes on to tell us that they have been robbed and that that that, uh, that we should be on the lookout if we see the items to know that we shouldn't buy them because the person who's attempting to sell them isn't the owner. So this is, again, this is back in the early 2000s. Um, some of the technologies and things that are available today as far as selling weren't as widely known then. People didn't really know how to use you know, the internet to sell things. And so it was reasonable that somebody may actually steal something and then bring it into a card shop to attempt to monetize that thing. So half an hour goes by. You and I have had the conversation about these amazing items that have gone missing when a car pulls up in front of House of Cards. And two guys get out of the car who we've never seen before, and they're big and uh, you know they're they're not dressed super well, and um, I remember one of them's got like a tank top thing on. They're both they're both just big guys though, and they get out of the car and they come up, and I just have this feeling: this is the guys who stole these who, who stole these the the baseball and the cards, this collection. And they come and they they put a binder and a baseball down on the on the counter, and I know exactly. What's happening? Do you remember this, Jeff? I do. I okay. Yes. So, so you and I are standing there at the counter, and I remember one of the guys is so clueless about what he has that although this baseball is in a baseball cube and is sealed, he tells us a story about his great grandfather got these all these autographs back when he was a kid, and his great grandfather just passed away and and yeah. left it to the kid and left left it to the guy, and I'm like, you are the worst liar I've ever heard in my whole life. <laughs> Like, it's got the sticker on it. Like, this is authenticated. This was signed in the last, you know, 15 years. And you're just lying, you know, and we know exactly what's going on. So we play it. We play it off that that you aren't the boss, that you are, you know, just the guy who's there on that given day. And, and we talk about how Mitch is the boss and how we aren't, we aren't able to spend that much money on, 
on, uh, and, and you know, it's definitely really valuable, but we can't spend that much money without Mitch being there. And the guys look just so totally disappointed in us, but we're like, yeah, we're sorry. <laughs> you right. can't, but if you want to come back, uh, you know, we, we can, maybe we can work something out when Mitch is here. Yeah. When Mitch is here, maybe we'll be able to work. We'll be able to buy something. I remember we, I just kept saying that. Yeah. 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 And so they leave and we just look at each other like, man, that was, that was like, it was actually like really scary because you know, these, these guys that are, you know, stealing things and, and probably not doing the most wholesome things with the money, um, uh, based on their behavior. Um, they, uh, they, we, we were suddenly in a, a really tough spot there. I don't remember what ended up happening with the ball and the Derek Jeter and Alex Rodriguez cards, but I do remember that, uh, I, that day I realized, wow, there's, um, there's ways to get out of these tough, tough spots that we find ourselves in sometimes. And there's a lot of interesting things that can happen at a card shop. So more, <laughs> right. more criminal, more cr- yeah. criminal behavior and, and house of cards connections. Yeah, that's right. So we need to get off the uh, theme of criminality. I don't, I don't know how, but do you have one, do you have one more story for us? I do. do it. So uh, I'll, I'll try to make it quick and, um, um, hopefully you won't be mad at me for sharing this story, but it needs to be told. No, so, I know yes. what you're going to tell. Yes. It was one of it was yes. one of my six. It was one yeah, of my six. So you, okay, you tell yeah, the story. I'm going to tell the story. It, it was hilarious. It might not be. It might be different. I might surprise you. Okay, but um, it might be. Anyway, we're at the original House of Cards on Fifth East, and again, it was one of those days when it was uh, me and Adam working. We're having a good time, um, you know, working through the day, uh, doing our thing, and. Um, one of our uh, um, main customers, Johnny, uh, pulls up, and young Adam, um, it must have been sixteen or seventeen at the time, you know, thought, "Oh, Johnny's a he's a cool guy," you know. I'm going to play a trick on him. I'm going to go hold the door shut so he can't get in, and so uh, Adam goes up to the front door. You know, Johnny walks up. Tugs on the door, can't open it because Adam's on the other side holding it shut. And uh, so a little game of tug of war goes on. Johnny's trying to open the door to get in. Adam's on the other side holding it, trying to keep Johnny out, just all in good fun. Um, This whole thing probably only lasted 10 seconds, 15 seconds at most. It was no big deal. You know, I was kind of chuckling. You know, I thought, ah, Johnny's going to get a kick out of this. Um, You know, this is funny, you know, whatnot. Anyway, Adam relents. He uh, lets go of his grip on the door um, and stands there. Looking back on it, you probably should have run. Um, (laughs) But uh, just standing there, Johnny opens the door. You greet him. You know, hey, Johnny, you know, kind of chuckling. That was funny. I was holding the door. You couldn't get in. And, you know, Johnny, how old was he at the time? 65, 70, maybe. I don't know. Older guy. Anyway, he just rears back, you know, as far as he can and just open fist slaps Adam across the face. You know, you, you, you can hear it from a mile away. And uh, said said a few choice words, and um, I mean he hit Adam. He hit you hard. I don't know if you remember <laughs> that or not, but he he smacked you hard, and um, I was shocked. I know you were, um, and 
you know, it was, it was one of those things where I just kind of had, you know, had to compose myself a little bit. Okay, you know, how do I handle this? And hopefully, as you look back on it, you, you'll think I handled it right because I came to your aid, and you know, I laid into it pretty good. I'm like, Johnny, not cool. You know, I don't care what led up. You know, if your dog died or yeah, I, I don't care what happened leading up to this. Completely unacceptable, and you owe Adam an apology. And um, I think you—I mean, your cheek was red, and um, you might have had a handprint on there or whatever else. But um, anyway, I, I thought I lost you that day. I, I wasn't sure you were going to come back. I wasn't sure your mom was going to let you come back. But uh, <laughs> Adam, you know, definitely—I—I I think the. The kids call it getting bee slapped. That's what um, the kids call it. Yep. So anyway, you can guess that I have some some replies to this story. And I'm going to tell you some things that are going to surprise you as, as, as I t- tell this. So um, <laughs> are you good? Can I can I reply to this story real quick? Absolutely. Oh, you, you, you deserve to be able to reply to that story. So, so I'm... I'm known I just called for, you out by for getting bee slapped by a seventy year old man. So. I'm known. I'm known for having like kind of a crazy memory when it comes to a lot of these things, and I'm going to tell you some things about this story that you don't remember, and and some of them are going to surprise you a little bit, Jeff. But um, okay. but uh, the thing that I will the thing that I will start with is yeah, I I think. Uh, I mean, yes, it definitely, it definitely happened. Um, and it's something that I wasn't going to forget. In fact, this was the last story that I was going to share, but now I get to share another one of the ones that I really wanted to. So after, after I'm done, after I'm done uh, with this story, I will, uh, or after I'm done commenting on it, I'll tell you one last one. Um, so here's, here's the interesting thing about that day and how, how time can kind of change things. This story that you just told literally happened 20 years ago, over 20 years ago. And it beca- it became part of House of Cards lore in a way where um, my guess is the story has changed, grown in some ways and not in others. Um, but one thing that, that you're going to be surprised at that I'm going to tell you right now, Jeff, is actually you weren't there that day. And, but you were there for something later. So this is, this is how it went down. That day, the only people in the shop were me and Mitch. I held the door, leaning forward and pretending like I didn't know he was there. He tugged on it twice, tugged on the door twice. And when he tugged on it the second time, he tugged on it like he was ready to kill me. I turned around, and before I turned, before I even got all the way turned around, like you said, he slapped me so hard. He slapped me so hard. And I was like, what just happened? F-bombs just started flying from this man's face, right? This man, this calm, not collected, but calm, kind of funny old guy starts F-bombing this, that. He tells me he's going to go out to his car and get a gun and that I can't do that to him and he's going to kill me. All these things start coming out of this guy's mouth. And I remember looking over at Mitch and Mitch's jaw is just agape. His mouth is hanging wide open like, what do I do? And little 16-year-old Adam is there just like, scared stupid right i am scared to death of what is happening to me right now we go like this this goes on for 30 seconds and then john acts like nothing happened that night or later after johnny leaves mitch calls you and is like so the following thing just happened and i'm sitting there probably in the corner just like like having like post-traumatic experience like feelings you come into the shop the next day and you and I have a conversation about it. And you say to me, Adam, 
if you don't want Johnny to come back, again, he doesn't have to come back. Um, but, um, but I, you know, if you're willing to sort of be okay with this, and it's not like Johnny was some, you know, very valuable customer of ours. He, he was maybe valuable in terms of his personality, but he spent, we called him the quarter man. You remember? That's right. Um, he, yeah. he would, he would buy, but, but then what you did is at that point, then you did get the chance to talk to Johnny and you did lay into him and all that other stuff is true. But that actually happened. Not that didn't happen at the time. And I remember one of the things that you said to me right after it happened, you said, Adam, if I would have been there, like that's not how that would have gone down. And I knew that was true. And that's how you can that's how you can actually remember now that you weren't there. Is Jeff, you would have never let that happen the way that that happened that day. What Johnny did that day, although we can look back and laugh at it now, you wouldn't have reacted the way you just described. The way you would have reacted yeah. would have been with like sort of like a very like but but that's the thing is when 20 years goes by and you think about stories and you think about that you've heard that story hundreds of times you suddenly start imagining yourself being part of it and then later you go oh my goodness like i did forget something i've combined stories in my mind doing that same sort of thing before right. but uh, i learned a valuable lesson that day and that is that when a man's been in a car for 20 minutes and he's older and you never know what kind of mood he's in you don't mess around with him even if you're just having a little bit of fun so um yeah that's right adam can i throw in one more real quick do it so I, it it kind of goes along with the same thing. Uh, um, I don't know if you remember this or not. Uh, do you remember the night that um, the House of Cards, um, the second location was robbed? Were, were, were you no. there then? Okay. No, so, I don't. All right. Here, here, here's, here's an interesting story about being a store owner. So um, what one night... Um, you know, we, we don't know when it was, obviously, but um, uh, some thugs, you know, used a rock or a brick or whatever else, and they um, uh, broke a hole in that in that huge plate glass window. Remember that in mm -hmm. the front? And so, um, you know, they, they broke a hole in that just big enough to get in and get out. And the interesting thing about that is is the alarm did not trigger and so really? we didn't know, I didn't know about it until Mitch got there the next day at 10 o'clock and oh called me and said, Jeff, we, you know, we've been broken into, you know, you need to get up here, you know, quick. And so, you know, obviously I drove up there and I was just, I mean, all these bad things were going through my mind. Like the whole store is just going to be empty. It's just going to be carpet and paint. And, you know, what do we do? You know, this it's just going to be, you know, disastrous, whatever else. But anyway, I get up there and, you know, you, you know, at any one time, you know, how much, you know, inventory we had on the shelves, wax, how much inventory we had in the display cases, um, all that stuff. You know, long story short, uh, the only thing they took was the cash drawer, which, as you recall, <laughs> Do you remember how much cash we kept in every night when we counted down the till? Hundred bucks. One hundred dollars. And so the thieves had all the time in the world. They didn't know it, thankfully, but they had all the time in the world. They could have taken every single box, every single single card out of there, every supply, every bid board tag, and the only thing they took was a cash drawer with a hundred dollars. I went through and I added up all the wax that was on the shelf and it was over twenty thousand dollars 
And, you know, in 2001, that was a lot of wax that we had, you know, on the door. And I didn't add up the singles. I'm just thinking, I am so grateful, you know, that thieves are ignorant. Because if they if they were smart, they would have taken us for every single thing we had, and it would have been the worst day of my life. So, well, you think about you think about what a card shop is worth, and a lot of people, you know, don't realize the goodwill and the you know the the benefits that the the com- that the company has that are outside the inventory. Most people just think of the inventory. You could have fifty thousand dollars in singles in the in the shop. That's right. Right. And, and you, you talk about everything that was on the board and all the wax. I actually do remember the story um, a little bit. And I remember Mitch telling the story. And, you know, we have a way sometimes of, of you know, exaggerating some of these things, especially Mitch does. Um, he, he, <laughs> I think he told the story that there were like 10 boxes of exquisite uh, on, the, on the shelf at that point. Do you, do you happen to remember that? Or not? I, I don't remember that. I know that we just got a lo- large order in and we had a ton of expensive at the time, expensive wax boxes that were untouched. You know, they they could have taken one box or they could have taken one pack and gotten away with more than they did. But, of course, they weren't looking to open packs of cards. They were looking for, you know, money to, you know, do you know what with. So, you know, good thing they're they're ignorant and it saved our bacon. I don't remember the beautiful – do you remember the beautiful decorative – um, uh, what would you call those things that I put across the window? The the bars, the decorative bars that I put across the window so that would happen again. I'd forgotten about those. And, I'd totally forgotten, but I remember yeah, now. Yeah, and we took them down, and when we moved to Ivy Place, we put them up in the, you know, in the big plate glass window. Yeah, we never had any problem again, you know. Um, I, I would I suggest it. to anybody out there, so decorative um bars you know one of our customers made those for us and uh never had a a a break in again so which you know i'm very i'm very grateful for so anyway awesome adam this has been great i i could go on forever but i'll give you the last word last so last story for me is a story that i'll just called it's called adam learns to flip cards and um if there's if there's a you know, I learned a lot of lessons about business and a lot of lessons about a lot of things about how to manage money, about cash flow, about a lot about a lot of things from from working in in, in cards and specifically working house of cards. But um, there's a moment um, there's a moment in the the late '90s, early 2000s again where where it became really clear to me um, there was a um, a card on the the bid board. It was a um, Eddie House SPX rookie card. I can't believe I can remember some of these things. I wasn't planning on this. This wasn't on my list, but I'm going to tell it. Good. So an Eddie an Eddie House SPX rookie number to 500. And in those days, a rookie number to 500 was extremely valuable. Well, we didn't have phones in those days, and very few people even knew that you could look at completed listings on eBay. I felt like it was this great secret that I had um, that, I, that I discovered, and this is one of the ways that I discovered it, is I looked at this Eddie House and I thought, wow, that's a short-printed rookie. Not just not all of the rookies were numbered to 500 that year. That year, most of the rookies were numbered to like 1999 or 2999, but there was a segment of the rookies that were that were lower numbered. And because people did the set and there were some more popular players in the, the group out of 500, 
even though they were like lesser known second round guys and things, some of them sold really well. And so I went home and I got on my computer and I looked at the completed listings and I saw that Eddie House happened to sell for a little bit of money. So I bought Eddie House that Saturday. Um, I, I even still remember who the seller was. The seller was Ed. I don't know if you remember Ed. Sure. Um, nicest guy in the whole world. Yep. And uh, I bought this card for five bucks. I went home, I put it on eBay, I put a buy it now on it of $80. Or nope, nope, see, I, I'm wrong on that. I handed it to you. And you and the shop were now at this point listing lots of cards on eBay. And I said, will you put this up and will you put a buy it now on it of $80? And it sold that day. I bought, I took a card, I put $5 bid on it, I handed it to you, you put it on eBay and it sold for $80. All mm-hmm. in the course of a couple of hours. And... Um, that was kind of a moment that, and, and there were a few other things that happened at that time where, where there were some, some cards that were starting, you know, there were some really rare cards that were out there that started to really be worth something and, uh, and, and had real, you know, a real reason why you could flip them and actually make some money. And so I, I started buying things on eBay that I would sell in the shop and buy stuff at the shop that I would sell on eBay. And I just started realizing that if you had two marketplaces, you could do things because there's usually not an exact price. And as long as your price that you could get in one place was more than the other, plus the fee that you would have to incur by selling it, that you could make some money doing that. So I did it with an Eddie, with the Eddie house. I did it at a Gales case. I bought a, a Akeem Olajuwon autographed jersey for 40 that I sold for 150. Um, I remember out of Gale's case, I bought a Rip Hamilton autographed primetime rookies out of uh, Skybox that was numbered to 25. I bought that for, I think I bought it for 40 as well. And I think I sold it for the same, about 150 as the, as the Elijah And I had a number of these things happen. And again, I'm only 17, 18 years old at the time. So this is a big deal for me. And then one day, as I'm learning about all the really rare cards, you can see why I was really excited to learn about these rare cards. They, they had such value that people didn't know about. In the middle of all of that, I'm looking in the in the Beckett at one point, and I see that these precious metal gems cards have the highest multiplier that I've ever seen on a card. There's the regular precious metal gems to red, they're the reds, and they have a certain value, but the greens have this astronomical, incredible multiplier. If memory serves, it was seriously like 300x of what the of what the Beckett was. And I thought, I've never even seen one of these before. So then one day, one pops up. And it popped up. The seller was a house of cards. It was it was us who, who was selling the card. You had recently bought a an amazing jazz collection. And in those days, there was no such thing as a card of John Stockton that we believed could be worth over $50. Like, we didn't think that was possible. We didn't think there was any way a John Stockton card could be over 50 bucks because, I mean, his rookie was only worth 25. How could something be worth more than that? But I saw that, you know, I saw that it was green and knew that there were only 10 of them. And I went home and I looked on eBay and I remember seeing Antonio McDice had sold for $250. And I thought, oh my goodness, if Antonio McDice is 250, I have to think that Stockton's worth at least that, maybe even as much as $500. With my simple mind, that's what I thought. So I come back into the, into the shop and I say, Jeff, I want to buy this this Stockton, but I want you to know I think it's worth more than than what you're thinking. And I remember you were like super cool about this. You were like, oh, really? You think it's worth that much? And I was like, I really think it's worth a lot. And I said, if I buy it, will you list it for me on eBay? And you're like, yep, I, I'd be happy to do that. But, but, but we worked out where I would have to put down a $75 bid 
right then and there. And we were only halfway through the week. So putting a $75 bid at that point was meaningful because it definitely brought attention to it. I put the $75 bid on it. Another guy bid 76, but he didn't come in on Saturday. Mm -hmm. So Saturday, I wait till 12.59. I put down $76.50 because the, the minimum bid increment up until 100 bucks was 50 cents, right? Yeah. I put down the 50 cent bid and uh, $76.50. I, I win a John Stockton green card. And I decided at that moment that I would become an eBay seller. And I decide I'm going to sell this card on my own on eBay. And I never made a bigger mistake because I go home, I put my first card on eBay. I bought like 80 cards before that. I've got this, you know, this, this feedback that's growing. It's not quite at a hundred, but it's growing and it's getting there, but I've never sold anything. And I figure out how to scan a card. You know, I pull, I, I've got the scanner that's with my computer and I scan the front of it and I scan the back and I figure out all these little things that I have to do to list it on eBay. And I list my very first card on eBay for sale and I put a buy it now on it of $500 with the, op, with the option to bid. Well, the, uh, the item automatically loses its buy it now because somebody comes in and bids in the first like couple of minutes that it's up. I didn't realize that would happen, but it does. And then it's up and it's up for, it's up to like $200. And then my phone rings. I'm not home for this, but my phone rings and a guy leaves me a message from Australia. In those days, people could, um, could call, they could find your number through eBay. It sounds insane, but you could actually find, do you remember oh, this, yeah, Jeff? You could find somebody's number. And so this, so, but it's, it's impossible to think about that at this point because, you know, you've got email and a million other ways. It's, it's hard to believe that they did that. But at this point, this guy from Australia reaches out and he's like, hey, listen, mate, I really wanted this John Stockton card. I would have bought it for the, for the buy it now. How about we still do the buy it now thing? And, you know, you can, you can save on fees and all this other stuff. And I'm sitting there going, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. I end the auction. I mean, I've had this. I've had this long conversation. with This guy. He's had me look through the rest of my collection. If there's anything, rare, anything else rare that uh, that uh, that he wanted to buy, and he also he also wanted to buy. I can't believe it. I haven't thought of this in so long. But he also wanted to buy a Reggie Miller uh, Stadium Club autograph. And so I sold him. I sold him the Reggie Miller. I don't remember what I sold him that for. And I sold him the John Stockton for five hundred. And and after I ended it, he said. He, he, he's, he reminded me, he's like, now you remember there's, there's that story that I told you about that Michael Jordan card that I bought that I never got paid on. And he told me the story about how there was this Michael Jordan 1988 or 89 Fleer PSA 10 card that he'd paid like $1,500 for some big number at the time and that he'd never gotten the card. And he's like, you remember I told you that story because I wanted you to know I want you to send me this before I send you payment. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize that's what we were doing. And I remember I went back into the shop and I told Mitch this story and Mitch was like, oh, it's probably okay. And I was like, well, Ugh. maybe, you know, but I didn't have the ability when I was, you know, at this point I would have been 19 years old because this is just before my mission. I didn't have the ability at this point to tell people, no, that's wrong. Um, and the guy was super nice to me. And so I was just like, all right, I'm, I'm going to do this. I ship him the card and he's like, now did you ship it? Did you ship it? And then, one day, after he's been trying to contact me, he's contacting me every day. One day, he not only goes silent, but then when I start sending him emails from my side, the emails are rejected. He somehow deleted his email address. And not only did he do this to me, but he did it to like 20 other people at the same time. And this guy who had a feedback rating of 800 over the course of a couple of weeks gets 20 negative feedbacks. I have no 
I have no way to contact him, no way to prove what's happened, but I know that I don't have my 500 and whatever number of dollars that I should have gotten from oh. John Stockton Green in my Reggie Miller Stadium Club autograph, and I am broken. And I remember coming in and talking to you in the shop when I, when I realized, like, it's over, Adam. You have been scammed. You do not get your John Stockton green card. You do not get your money. It's all gone. And I came in and I talked to you and, and you gave me some great advice that day. You said, Adam, you learned a lesson today and you've learned a lesson that you're never going to forget. And I know that $500 seems like a lot of money right now, but in the big scheme of things, it's really not. And here we are. It's been it's been 18 years since that happened. Almost, actually, it's probably been almost exactly 18 years because I went on my mission in October of 2002, and it was in the it was in the couple of months before that because I was looking to sell stuff to get money together for my mission, um, and that's you know that's one of the reasons why I was so excited to go make this money. Um, but it's been that long, and every time I see a John, a John Stockton PMG, right. I always think about it. But the problem is you never see the greens. I believe it was numbered. I can't be sure about this. I believe it was number eight of a hundred or eight of ten. And um, and obviously, you know, selling it for five hundred in retrospect is a terrible idea because the card's probably a thirty or forty thousand dollar card today. Um, but I can say that I owned it, and I've got this great story and this great lesson that I learned. And now when people are, are, are quick to act, because, I, because I'm kind of a, a nice, kind, good-natured sort of guy, and people are quick to ask me to do certain things, I, I know, and I go back to this lesson over and over again. Adam, sometimes you got to tell people no when things feel wrong. And, uh, and uh, so thank you, Jeff, for teaching me that, that lesson. That That's right. Any other, any other you're, thoughts? You're welcome. All of life's best lessons are learned at your local card shop. <laughs> Everything you need to know about life can be learned at the local card shop. And, you know, a couple of things I've, I've learned tonight listening to these stories is um, we've both been bee slapped. Uh, you literally, uh, me, by selling you a card for $76.50 that's worth $30,000. So figuratively, I <laughs> so anyway, no, I'm, I'm grateful, Adam, for the opportunity to, to share these experiences. I, it brings back a, a ton of great memories. Uh, more than anything, it, it reminds me of uh, how much fun we had um, working together at, uh, at House of Cards. We had a, a lot of fun. I mean, we, we told a lot of the big stories. You know, what can't be told are, are just the little things, just the fun things that happen on a daily basis that just make, you know, being at a card shop and working at a card shop fun. And you made it fun. Um, it, was a, it was a pleasure for me um, to kind of take you under my wing, so to speak, and, um, you know, help you, you know, learn some of these, uh, some of these lessons. And um, just kind of in closing, I'll uh, plug uh, your, your magazine. I'm excited for it to, to come out. Um, you know, you're, you're a guy who, you know, over the years has gained, you know, almost unlimited amount of knowledge and I'm so excited to see that in print, in writing. And, um, you know, you talk about the lessons that you've learned. Um, I'm grateful that you're taking your time to now, you know, turn around and write 
so that people can learn from you, uh, the experiences um, that you've had and that, that you, you continue to have. Um, you mentioned it was going to be a paid subscription. I think it's great. Um, I don't know how, how much it's going to be, but it doesn't matter. Um, it'll, it'll be worth that and then some. Um, so I, I just encourage everybody to, you know, sign up for that. And, um, you know, you, you didn't tell me to say this. This wasn't planned, but um, it's just something that came to my mind that, um, you know, if there was somebody um, that I was going to pay money to um, read their information and to gain knowledge from, it would be you. You just recently got done doing your top 100 um, cards of your collection. And um, I just want to let you know that that had an impact on me. I went through and I did something similar with my collection and have made some adjustments to it. And I know um, that other people have done the same thing. And so, you know, you taking the time to do that has helped people to create stronger collections. And um, I know that the uh, this magazine, the Basketball Card Fanatic, is is going to be wonderful, and I'm looking forward to it. And I can't uh, wait for episode one. You know what, Jeff? You're just as kind as you've ever been, and I can't thank you for the for the can't thank you enough for the super kind words if you want the first issue uh please dm me at the real 27 guy um i have a an email that i've set up to um i believe it's basketball card fanatic at gmail.com but i've literally never used it at this point so if you have an email and you don't have instagram try basketball card fanatic um at gmail.com but if you have instagram uh, message me at the real 27 guy and I will 100% add you to that that list to get the first one and uh, you know I appreciate any feedback that anybody has but I really want to put something together that's um, that's helpful that is enjoyable that feels like you learn from it um, that you get to hear from passionate people in the hobby I will not be the only person who's writing for it uh, the first issue has um, at least four other people uh, but I believe maybe as many as six other people who will be writing articles for it and and I'm looking for people who have real passions people who really love the hobby and not just people who love money but people who love their cards and love and, and love the community and I think that I think that you'll enjoy it so hope you'll come along hope you'll uh, hope hope you'll get that first one and if you find value in it I'd, I'd love it if you if you'd uh, subscribe from that point um, again, thank want to thank Jeff for being just an awesome guest. This we had him had him twice now, and for sure we'll have him a whole bunch more. And uh, just Jeff, thanks again for taking the time, um, and thank thank you all for listening to, tonight. And uh, until next time, happy collecting.